This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. You know, I think about so many things as I'm, Josh is going to share the, share the word tonight. And I'm just thinking about all of you being here tonight. You're setting yourself up for blessing. If you weren't here this morning, could be here this morning, listen to the podcast this week. I talked about uh, choices have consequences. You make good choices, you're setting yourself up for good things. You make not so good choices, you're setting yourself up for bad things. The Bible teaches what you sow is what you reap. And when you get people that will come to church twice on a Sunday in modern-day America and then come back Wednesday night, that's people setting themselves up for blessing. And the scriptures we looked at today taught that that your life lives longer and your quality of life lives better when you put God first by being a church person. That's not a religious person. But you come to church because you love Jesus, you want to know him better, <clears throat> and you want to serve others. And I was thinking about a young couple we went to lunch with this afternoon. We were talking about their children, talking about things, and heard Brother Hagin say something from years ago when he was a pastor. And I've been a pastor since 1992 now. And I can and I say the same thing because I've seen it time and time again. Brother Hagin said he could always predict with 100% accuracy how people's children were going to turn out when they grew up. He said all I had to do was watch dad and mom. And by watching dad and mom, how they lived, how they conducted themselves, the value they put on God, of God's word, the value they put on obeying God's word, living for him, being good church people, things like that said that I could tell those kids were going to turn out right. But when you had the people that were schizophrenic in church attendance, they were uh, haphazard in, in their commitment to God, said the children wouldn't turn out right. They turned out having problems in life, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was telling this couple today, I said, I can already tell you what your kids are going to be like. I said, they're going to be junior ushers soon. Amen. They want to imitate dad and mom. They want to do right. I said, they're going to be working in little different various areas of the ministry growing, growing up in that. And then they're going to succeed in life. They're going to make right choices about who they marry. They're going to make right choices about their job life because they're putting spiritual things first. And so I just, I just wanted to say that to say this. I'm looking at all these happy faces here tonight. There's so many other things you can do. I look at Mr. Blake, Mr. Newlywed Man over there, and straight from the job to church. He worked all day, got in the car, drove straight to church. His wife and son's here waiting on him. And I can tell you how it's going. Amen. It's like I can tell you how he is going to turn out. He is going to t- turn out to be a great moral man of God because dad and mom are demonstrating that. So I'm just telling you, <clears throat> don't ever quit what you're doing. Keep putting God first. You know, Christians, we can enjoy vacations. We can enjoy Disney. We can enjoy Knott's Berry Farm. We can enjoy doing all those other things, but those things are not our gods. Those things are things we do when we... Have God first. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm serious about that. You know, so many, so many places, I know that back in my church, back in Indiana, my first, my first uh, praise, of, praise of worship leader, well, not praise of worship leader, first youth, first youth minister, came out of a denomination that was really a religious denomination. They told them they couldn't have TV sets. They couldn't wear wedding, wedding rings because they were made out of gold and that was evil and things like that. Then he come out of that church, come to our church, got filled with the Spirit, started serving and just tell me how rough it was for any kids to want to go to that church because of all the rules and regulations they had on them. Said so they knew they were wrong, 
But that church is all they knew, so they went to that church, although they knew they were wrong. And then, <clears throat> then he started coming to our church, and their life got changed around. So I can tell you this. You don't put rules and regulations on your kids to try to make slaves out of them. You live in front of your kids. You live in front of your kids, right? You don't have a religious side that's for the church people to see. Then the real you, the monster, come out when you get home. You can't do that. Dads, treat mom right. Mom, treat dad right. Because when your kids grow up, if you're the only example they ever saw, why are you going to wonder how come they can never keep a, keep a happy home? But I'll tell you what, at our church, I see people that know how to live a married life right. I see people that know how to be a good example. And, you know, I, I think about the home I was raised in. My dad and mom weren't church people. But I think about my dad and mom all the time, man, the smoke, blowing smoke on our face. I better never catch one of these your mouth. Boy, I'll beat your butt if you ever do this, blowing smoke at us all the time. Man, by the time 10 or 12 years old, went till they was passed out drunk, they would steal their cigarettes. They'd steal their booze. Because they was telling us what not to do, but we, we wanted to do what they were doing. We was imitators of what we saw. But then my children that I raised grew up in my house, they saw us in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and we never forced it on them. It's just our lifestyle. But then when we got home, we, we wasn't another person at home. We were the same way at home as we were in church. We acted the same at home. And, you know, we got flesh sometimes. I mean, we've, we've had stupid days. But my daughter, Annie, just moved from Alaska, said something the other day that I'd, I'd never heard her say. She told her husband, she said, I don't remember Dad ever hollering Mom. I don't remember them ever fighting. I remember lots of it, but I guess her mind went blank. But, but no, I'm just saying the lifestyle we live gets into our children to help transport them. So I just, you know, just, just give a hand for yourselves. You're in church tonight, and you didn't have to be. And like some of the verses we looked at today, this will not just impact your life today. This will impact your children and your future grandchildren by what you're doing today. You're getting prepared for the future in advance. So we're so happy to see you here. Know it's going to be a life-changing night. Well, thanks. Thanks, Dad. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, we're going to get ready to get in the, in the Word here. But that was, a, that was a great time of worship we just had. And I was, as we were sitting there uh, worshiping, I remember uh, that Jesus told us, you know, that, uh, that we're supposed to be worshiping in spirit and in truth. And uh, we just had a great time uh, in, in spirit there and, and in truth. But uh, the Bible also tells us that his word is truth. So uh, we've had a great time worshiping in the, in the spirit. And now we're going to move on uh, to the truth. We're going to learn a little bit of the word tonight. So uh, uh, we'll get ready here and get started. In fact, uh, if you don't mind, I'll pray for us and then, then we'll get on with it. So, uh, Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you, Lord God. And we're so thankful for this wonderful time uh, that we had uh, worshiping you, Lord, and, and singing to you and just enjoying your presence. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, in this day and age we are supposed to worship you in spirit and in truth. So as we get ready to get into your word, which is truth, Lord, I just ask that you would uh, help me to speak the words that you would have me to speak. Help me to be attentive to your Holy Spirit to, to say and speak the wrong things. And if there's anything of my own that comes out, I just ask that you'd help it to uh, fall to the ground, Lord God, because ultimately we only want your word to remain uh, we just ask that you'd help us all to have attentive hearts, attentive minds, and to receive everything you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, 
uh, the last couple times I've taught, I've been trying to do uh, a little bit more of like a, a Bible study um, where we can really, you know, break down a Bible one chapter, one verse at a time. And that's what I want to do tonight. Uh, I wrote in my notes that uh, this is known in the biz as an expository sermon uh, as opposed to the more common topical sermon. Um, and this is where uh, this is this type of sermon just helps us take everything in context. It helps us uh, uh, it helps me make sure that I'm hitting a broad, a broad enough spectrum that it'll be something that applies to each and every person. Uh, and where it just uh, we're going to take it one verse at a time. And tonight what I want to study uh, is the book of Colossians chapter three. And so if you want, you can all flip over there to Colossians chapter three. Let me flip there myself. Bible's upside down. Yeah, that was my wife. She sent me the Bible. There we go. A little easier to read when it's right side up. Um, and uh, if you're taking notes... Uh, a subtitle I have for this sermon is uh, Living the New Life. And uh, the reason I wrote that topic uh, or that title is because uh, in my Bible, I know in a lot of your Bibles, uh, above each chapter sometimes it'll have uh, a little uh, blurb that tells you what that chapter is about. And above Colossians chapter 3, it says Living the New Life in my Bible. And I, I thought it sounded cool, so we're going to go with that. Living the New Life. And... Uh, we're just going to go through this. Uh, let's start right here in verse 1. We're going to take it a verse at a time. It says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Uh, and as I was thinking about this verse, I was thinking uh, one that pastor has been preaching on a little bit lately uh, is Second Corinthians 5.17 that tells us that when we're in Christ, we're new creations. All of the old things have gone. It has to make room for the new. We get rid of all that old, and God makes us brand new creations. And this verse 1 here is telling us that since we're new in Christ, our entire attention and focus needs to be on the realities, on the things of heaven. Um, and let's, let's go on to verse 2 here real quick. It says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And just continuing this thought, uh, we need to make sure that our thoughts are primarily focused on the things of heaven. Um, Pastor was recently uh, teaching us the parable of the sower, which uh, he says, and and you can see it in Mark, the book of Mark, that it's the most important parable because you need to understand the parable of the sower to understand all of the other parables. Um, And this, uh, that the parable of the sower talks about people who. if they're focused on the on things of this life, it's like some a seed that's planted in thorny ground. And uh, th- this type of person, when they're focused on the things of this world, for a while it looks like they have a good life. It looks like they have things all together. But eventually, that the the, the worries of the world, the the cares, the desires, and the the thorns it, uh, choke out this seed, and then it bears no fruit. And so that's why we need to keep ourselves focused on the things of heaven, not the things of this earth. Um, 
something that just a kind of little off topic, but I, for some reason when I was uh, making my notes for this, something that kind of, of came to my mind uh, is uh, a little uh, thing that uh, my pastor Jake in Denver used to always teach us. Uh, and he would always talk about, you know, we all agree, right, that God loves everybody the same. God doesn't love any one of us any more than the others. But a follow-up question, would you say that we're all equally as useful to the kingdom of God? And I'm, I'm gonna, uh, I'll go ahead and answer that for you. Uh, would you say that, you know, someone that's passed out drunk on the corner is as useful for the kingdom of God as Billy Graham, who's out there uh, winning? I, I looked it up. He won 2.2 million people to the Lord over the course of his lifetime. And I would say no. Now, obviously, God loves the the druggie and God loves Billy Graham both the same. And they they want, they both have the same potential. They have the same potential, but Billy Graham is doing a lot was doing a lot more good for the kingdom of God than that druggie. And so, uh, you know, we need to make sure that we're doing all that we can to be as productive and useful for the kingdom of God as we can. Because we all have that same potential, but if we aren't living up to it, then it does us no good. I, um, you know, it, it does us no good to, to, to win the whole world and lose our soul, they, they say. But at the same way, that, that druggie, that alcoholic, is losing the world and losing his soul. So we need to make sure that we're being as productive for the kingdom of God. And one of the ways we can do this is by that, like that scripture said, thinking about the things of heaven instead of the things of this earth. Um, and let's continue with our study here. Verse 3. Uh, it says, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with God in Christ. And so like we were reading earlier, when we're in Christ, old things are gone. All things are become new. And uh, Pastor always uses this phrase. He refers to his body as his earth suit. And uh, I think one of the reasons he uses that phrase is because we, we've all seen, like, pictures of astronauts in big, uh, bulky suits where you uh, walking on the moon or whatever. And um, when you see these people, you're not really seeing them. You're seeing the suit that they're in, but you can't really see them because they're hidden underneath that bulky suit. And that's what uh, pastors are referring to. When you see him, you're not seeing the real him. You're seeing the suit that he's in, but the real him is the brand new born-again spirit that God's created on the inside. And that's how all of us are. Uh, we're, we're really that born-again spirit that's on the inside. So uh, you, you're died to this life, and your real life is hidden in Christ. Uh, let's keep going here, verse 4. It's a, it's a semi-long chapter, so I don't want to spend a ton of time on each verse. But it says, um, And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share... In all of his glory. And there's a, we know from a multitude of scriptures that one day Christ is coming back to this earth and he's going to take us all away. It says that those who remain will be taken away with the Lord. Um, and this scripture is telling us uh, that when he comes, those of us who are completely hidden in him will share in his glory. So it's important that we make sure uh, that we hide ourselves in, completely in Christ so that we can share in his glory when he comes back. And now um, 
these next few verses are going to tell us a few ways uh, to do that. Uh, let's start here uh, in verse 5. Uh, it says, since we're going to share in his glory, we need to put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. And uh, going back, like we were just saying, uh, to 2 Corinthians 5.17, when we're in Christ, we're new creations. It says, old things are gone, behold, all things are become new. Uh, But what that scripture is referring to is our spirits. When we're in Christ, our spirits become new. Uh, Our earth suits do not change one bit when we become born again. And and believe it or not, I know you might find this hard to believe, but I was equally as handsome before I was a Christian as I am now. Some of us, you know, we just have the natural good looks. Just just I don't... I don't know. Sometimes when I'm writing messages, that stupid things come out. I don't know. <laughs> but back to the topic. Um, our spirits are brand new, uh, but our minds, our bodies, those do not change. It's our responsibility uh, to, to, be, to work on changing the outside, so to speak, because God's changing us on the inside. And uh, it's like Mrs. Pastor taught a few weeks ago. For everything in the Bible... God has his part, and we have our part. And so, in this instance, um, God has changed us and made us completely brand new. He's made our spirits completely brand new. But we have to actively discipline our minds, our bodies, uh, etc. And this scripture, it gives us a few examples of things that we need to, to get rid of in our, in our, in our flesh, in, our, in ourselves. Let's read that again. It says, So put to death these sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. And I don't know why, uh, but every time I read these lists, the one that always sticks out to me for some reason is sexual immorality. Not only it's it's really common, and to me, it's the one thing on this list that is different from all the others. And let me explain to you how that is. There's literally no excuse for sexual immorality in the body of Christ. None at all. And let me explain to you why. Let's go through this list. Uh, one of the items on this list is impurity. It is literally impossible to live an impure life and inherit the kingdom of God. Because it's uh, another verse that tells us that. You can't live an impure life. Uh, lust. There's no way to lust and inherit the kingdom of God. There's not a way that you can lust, uh, be a, a spiritual luster. You can't be spiritual in lust. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how else to say that. Uh, but the same for, for evil desires and greed. You can't have evil desires and be a righteous person. But sex is the one outlier on this list, which is why almost every time I preach, somehow I end up coming back to this one. Because of everything on this list, sex is the one thing that us Christians do not have to give up. And let me explain to you why. 
let's look. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read to you Second uh, Corinthians or First Corinthians seven verses two through three, and it tells us how we as Christians um, can still have sex uh, and still be right with God. And it says, I'll just read it real quick. It says in verse First uh, Corinthians seven two and three. Uh, because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. And so to be a Christian, we have to give up lust, evil desires, greed, etc., that whole list. We do not have to give up sex, but what we do have to do is we have to get married. And that's why this is the one outlier on this list. You have to quit doing everything else on that list. You do not have to quit having sex, but you do have to get married. And uh, and I, I put right here, you know, I am a licensed and ordained minister. If any of you are not married but still like having sex, come see me after service, and I will give you a discount on my marriage fees will make you right in the sight of in the sight of God and then you've got no excuses then go home and have at it but if you are not married this scripture and the entirety of the bible forbids you to touch each other until you do get married speaking the truth in love and uh and just to be clear I think some people think, well, you know, this applies to young people. They need to keep themselves pure. But this applies to everyone. It doesn't matter if you've never been married, if you've been divorced, widowed, or whatever your circumstances. You can never have sex with someone that you're not married to and expect to have the full blessing of God on your life. So we'll be glad to marry you. I love marrying. Actually, I don't think I've ever done a marriage ceremony. So, so whoever comes up first. Maybe I'll even pay you just so I can say I did one. <laughs> All right. Let's keep going. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> verse 6. Verse 6. Uh, it says, because of these sins, and it's talking about the things we just read about, the anger of God is coming. Now, these sins, it says that they make God anger. And you wouldn't like him when he's angry. <laughs> uh, if you think the Incredible Hulk is no fun, you definitely do not want to deal with an angry God. So, uh, verse seven, verse seven, it says, "You used to you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world." Um, and I wrote here, you know, you can tell the Bible talks about it over and over. You can tell the different types of trees. By the fruit that grows on them. You know, if you see apples on a tree, you know that's an apple tree. If you see oranges on a tree, you know that that's an orange tree. Um, and people who are still a part of this world, they still grow the fruits that we just read about in verse 5. And he goes on uh, in verse 8 and gives us some more fruits. These are the types of things, you know, just like you see apples on an apple tree and oranges on an orange tree. Someone that's a part of this world you would expect to see the things that we're reading in verse 8 here. Um, it says, but now is the time to get rid, in verse 8, now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, 
and dirty language. So you can tell if someone is part of this world if they have those fruits in their life. Anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. As Christians, we don't need to be producing the fruits of this world. We need to be producing um, the fruits of the Spirit, the Christian fruits. So Christians can't have fits of anger and rage. Christians cannot slander others. Christians uh, should not have dirty language or cussing. And this one, uh, it reminds me of a story that Pastor always tells. Uh, when he was a young man, uh, he, he, always, uh, he always went to church with his Baptist grandma, and uh, he uh, decided, you know what, I'm going to just really serve the Lord. So he wanted to go to this Christian camp. Is that right? He went uh, to a Christian camp because uh, he wanted to be around other Christians, other uh, saved people. Um, and he overheard some of the Christian, the Christian camp counselors cussing and telling dirty jokes and carrying on. And those Christians were producing the fruit of the world. And uh, he started to think, well, if I want to hear cussing and dirty jokes, I can just hang out with my family and my unsaved friends. There's no, you know, there's no difference here. What's, why should I do all this? And so those, those Christians who are producing the fruit of this world, uh, it threw off pastor for many, many years. And he didn't come back to the Lord till several years later when he was in his late 20s. And I got to thinking, you know, as productive as Pastor has been for the Lord for the past several years, imagine how much more productive he could have been if he'd had like a 15 or a 20-year head start because he hadn't got thrown off by those Christians who were not acting like Christians. He could have had a head start if not for the, the cussing Christian camp counselors. But let's keep going here. Verse, uh, verse 9. It says, Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. So as Christians, we should not, this one's pretty obvious, we should not lie to each other. And I, I got to think about it, or honestly, we shouldn't lie to anybody for that matter. Christians should not lie. <laughs> as Christians, we're supposed to strip off anything and everything that's related to our previous life. And uh, since we're stripping it off, verse 10 tells us what we're supposed to do instead. Uh, It says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So you have to learn to know your creator and learn to become like him. So like we we were saying earlier, your inside is new, but we have to learn how to make our outside line up with the word of God. And it's a process that doesn't happen overnight. But we just got to keep working and working and working and becoming more and more like him every day, learning to become like Jesus. Uh, Verse 11 here, it says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Christ lives in all of us. Uh, and this scripture, this is something that the Apostle Paul had to actually remind people of all the time um, in the early churches. And that's because a lot of the early Christians that thought that in order to become a Christian, you had to become Jewish first. <laughs> and that, uh, that meant that you had to go through all of the Jewish ceremonies and, and, and 
procedures, uh, including this is one he talks about a lot. You had to go through the Jewish ceremonial circumcision process. <laughs> I don't know why I always think about this. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no fun. If these early uh, Christians had had their way, then uh, every church nowadays, you'd have the uh, baptismal, and then right beside it, you'd have the circumcision room. Because... <laughs> Uh, and so Paul had to remind us that, you know, you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. You know, we always talk, uh, if you look around most churches, there's usually more women than men. Imagine how much less men there would be if there was the ceremonial circumcision. <laughs> but instead, thank, thank Jesus, as we see in this verse, Christ is all that matters. Those things on the outside don't matter. It's Christ that all that matters, and he lives in each of us. So let's keep going. Uh, verse 12, it says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Uh, so verse 10, or we read earlier, told us that we need to strip off anything related to our previous life. But if we stripped ourselves down, that would leave us spiritually naked, so to speak. And so this tells us what we need to put on instead. Uh, we need to put on tenderhearted mercy. Uh, one translation I like says that we need to be put on compassion. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So as Christians in this new life, since we're talking about living the new life, we need to be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient. And uh, verse 13, this is a big one here. It says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We're supposed to love each other, but we also have to remember that not everyone is perfect and we need to to account for that, we need to make allowance for each other's faults. Um, and as, as I was thinking about this, my wife Julie is the perfect example of this. Because um, contrary to popular belief, I am far from a perfect person. And my beautiful, amazing, lovely wife realizes this. She makes allowance for my many faults. Uh, I was thinking about it. <laughs> Have you ever seen the, they've got these candy bar commercials where it'll have like uh, someone who's like all mean and angry and they look like a crank and they're like, yeah, Snickers. And they're like, you're not yourself when you're when you're hungry. So have a Snickers. And uh, Julie has recognized sometimes in the morning I'm not uh, always myself. So a lot of times she'll start boiling the water for my coffee because uh, I'm not myself when I haven't had coffee in the morning. She gets the and then I get my coffee and I and you know it's like when uh what they usually have like Betty White turn into like a young pretty lady or a football player or whatever. So I, I turn from the cranky person and I'm you guys can pray for me there. But once I get that coffee, I'm ready to go. So uh, she recognizes that since the Lord forgave her, she has to forgive me as well. Amen. Uh, verse 14, 
It says, above all of these things, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. So of all of the things that we're supposed to put on, the compassion, the kindness, humility, the gentleness, and the patience, the most important is that we put on love because love binds them all together. Love is what kind of ties them all together. It's like the, uh, the, the bow on the present or whatever. I don't know. Choose your own metaphor. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but love is the most important of all of these. And then uh, let's keep going here. Verse 15, it says, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Always be thankful. Um, and as Christians, our hearts should always be full of peace, which is what that verse tells us. Um, it's the, and this peace is something that comes from the Lord. It's something that our that our, our, our earthly minds just can't even fathom, this, this level of peace that he gives us. We're supposed to have this peace regardless of our circumstances. And not only that, we're supposed to I live in peace with everyone around us, and we do this, of course, by making allowances for each other's faults, uh, which is what he tells us in the verse before. And then it says we need to always be thankful, and that's a, a timely verse since it's almost Thanksgiving time, which is one of my favorite times of year here in America. Uh, we're reminded we always need to be thankful. Um, something we need to remember, though, is First uh, Corinthians 5 tells us that we need to give thanks in every circumstance. So no matter what's going on around us, we need to be thankful. But uh, it doesn't, sometimes I think Christians get confused and they think it says uh, give, in every, give thanks for every circumstance in every situation. And that's not what it says. Because honestly, not every situation comes from God. And so uh, if, you're thanking, if you're thanking God for something that he didn't do, then that's just not right. Uh, we pastor was reading it this morning. We read almost every service. And John 10:10, 10, 10, uh, it says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we can have and enjoy life. So uh, if if something is stealing and killing and destroying in your life, it's not right to thank God for that because He didn't do it. God doesn't steal, kill, or destroy. God wants us to have and enjoy life. But if there is stealing, killing, and destroying going on around you, in the midst of all of that, you can still be a thankful and grateful person. Because it says, in every, in, in every circumstance, give thanks is what First Corinthians 5. And this verse is the same. It tells us to always, to always be thankful. Uh, verse 16. It says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Another translation of this verse says that we need to let the the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Our lives need to be full of the word of God. And then uh pastor hit on it this morning. Uh, this talks about um, we need to counsel each other with all the wisdom from the word of God. Pastor was talking about Psalm 1 this morning. Um and it, Psalm 1 tells us that we're blessed when we don't take a counsel from ungodly people. And this verse is along those same lines. It tells us that, uh, that we need to counsel each other with the wisdom that we receive from God's word. 
And uh, if you're receiving counsel from an ungodly person, they're not going to be counseling you with the wisdom that comes from God's word. They're going to be counseling you from their circumstances, whatever is going on in their life. And it's most of the time it's not going to line up with, with God's word. So that's why, just like Psalm 1 says, you don't take counsel from the ungodly. We encourage each other with the word of God. And then uh, verse 17 here. This is, uh, this is one of my life verses. It says, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And so I just always remind myself, um, wherever I go and whatever I do, I'm a representative of Jesus. And I need to keep that in mind before I open my mouth to, or, or do or say something stupid. I, people look at me as a representative of Jesus. So whatever we do or say, do it knowing that you're representing Christ. And now now we get to get into some of the fun verses. Uh, verse 18 here. I'm going to read this one. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. And to us husbands, I always like to remind us that this verse is directed at the wives. It's not directed at us. And so what that means to me if your wife is not submitting, that is between her and God, and you can just butt out and pray for her. It's not our responsibility to make sure our wives are submitting. As Christians, it's literally between her and God if she's going to submit or not. And there's nothing that we can do about it other than pray for her. Um, I don't know why this always comes to mind every time I read this verse too, but I hate to say it, but uh, if you think that it is your responsibility as a husband to make your wife submit, then I think you may have chosen the wrong religion. Because in the Islamic religion, in the, uh, what is their Bible? The Quran, there are scriptures that say, as a husband, if your wife is not submitting to you, you are obligated to beat her into submission. So... Uh, if you feel that it's your obligation um, to force your wife to submit to you, then uh, then there's probably a mosque around here somewhere. Have at it, and best of luck to you. But as Christians, it's not our responsibility. But that being said, wives, it does instruct you to submit to your husbands. And I don't want to sit here all night and talk about what that means to submit to your husbands. But let's, for tonight, let's just simplify it and say that this means to listen to your husbands. As wives, you need to be listening to your husbands and not trying to rule over him. <laughs> Thank you. That's it. That was, that's it. That was pretty good. <laughs> well, I beat up on the husbands for a minute. I don't want to. To beat up on the wives too much, because I, I, I like to, to go home with my wife. <laughs> um, but verse 19, it says, Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. 
and this is one that I'm, you know, reminding myself of. In the morning when I haven't had my coffee, I'm still obligated to love my wife, and I am never permitted to treat her harshly. Whether I've had coffee or I'm hungry or hangry, whatever you want, you have to. I still have to love my wife. Uh, and then here's uh, this next one, uh, verse 20. Before service, my son said he would like to help me read this one. I don't know if he will or not. You want to come help me read this one, this verse? You practiced it in the car with me. Yeah, I didn't think <laughs> he practiced it in the car. This is one that. Uh, this is one of the first verses that I've taught my son, and he's memorized it, but he's being shy right now. You want to say it in the microphone? You want to do it? No? All right. He said it like ten times in the car on the way over here. He said it right now? He, oh, he's saying it on the front row. He just won't say it. <laughs> this one is very easy. I recommend you teach it to all of your children. It says, children... Always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. And uh, like I said, this is one I've been teaching my son. He more or less has it down. Um, We've taught him this verse, and now now we're teaching him that it's important to not only uh, hear the word and memorize the word, that he also needs to do what it says. (laughs) And that's that's, that's another sermon. Verse 21, it says, Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. And I'm guessing that maybe things 2,000 years ago weren't all that different from the way things are today. Because I don't know why I am constantly having to resist the urge to aggravate my children. (laughs) I don't know. A lot of times in the morning, my son Jonas, he's working on being more of a morning person. But a lot of times, first thing in the morning, all he wants to do is sit down and drink his chocolate milk and, and watch VeggieTales on TV. And for some reason, every time I see him down there, I just have this urge to come pick him up and spin him around and wrestle with him. And it aggravates him to no end. He hates it. Because... <laughs> You know, there's a there's a verse uh, in Proverbs that says a loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning is the same thing as a curse. (laughs) And so you can pray for me on this one. But a lot of times I'm like, Jonas, would you like a loud and cheerful greeting? And he's like, no. And he usually throws his milk at me or something. Uh, but for for you morning people, remember that a loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning is the same thing as as cursing someone. Just uh, chew on that one for a little bit, <laughs> and pray for me and Jonas that hopefully he doesn't connect with his milk cup one day right in my forehead or something. <laughs> I'll come in with a bruise in my forehead or something. I don't know. Let's keep going here. Uh, verse twenty-two. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear for the Lord. And um, 
This verse says slaves and masters, but I think uh, a more applicable modern translation would probably say employees and employers. Uh, and this is one I, I also I have to remind myself of this one a lot. I, I work from home, so my boss doesn't see me ever. Like, I've never met my boss, actually. I might have met him once in passing in the hallway like seven or eight years ago. But uh, and I've only talked to him on the phone a couple of times. Usually we're all talking through emails and, and messaging. It would be very uh, easy for me to slack off all the time and only work hard when he's paying attention, which is not very often. He's a very hands-off boss. But this scripture is telling us that we need to work hard whether our boss sees us or not. Whether your boss is looking or not, you need to work equally as hard. And then verse 23 here that we're going to read tells us exactly why that is. It says, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And that's ultimately we're not working for a human boss. We're working for the Lord, just like uh, we read earlier in verse 17. We're a representative of Jesus. And uh, Jesus wasn't lazy, so we need to not be lazy. We need to work hard whether our boss is paying attention or not. Uh, Verse 24, it says, Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. Now, uh, as I got to think about this, it says the Lord is the one that gives us an inheritance. Philippians 4.19 tells us that God supplies all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And so ultimately, God is the one who provides for us. He's our source, not any human or employer. Now, God does use human employers to provide to, as a vessel, as the, as the means to provide our needs. But ultimately, God is the one who provides our needs. And this, uh, it, once you understand this revelation that it's not God or, or, or not an employer or a job that's providing your needs, it's God, even though he may be using a job, that's how you can have peace. Even when there's, uh, there's stuff going on on your job. Uh, I won't go into the whole thing tonight. But uh, like Julie was saying, uh, there was a lot of stuff that uh, went on with my job this year where uh, they, uh, they called me uh, in February and told me that uh, – that in two weeks I would no longer have a job and that there was nothing they could do about it. Um, and uh, Julie and I won't tell the whole testimony, but Julie and I just, we, we knew in our hearts that that ultimately God was our source. It didn't matter uh, what this company does. Uh, God's someone that provides for our needs. So we just had perfect peace. And um, I didn't really do anything at all. Uh, uh, I didn't even really I, – I made one phone call, and, and, and another company that was affiliated with my current job said, you know what, uh, we like you so much. What we want you to do uh, is come work for us for 90 days because my, my, I work for a, a big uh, corporation, and so they've got all these rules. When you, uh, when you leave their employee, you cannot work for them again for a minimum of 90 days. But uh, this other company that works closely with me, they said um, – uh, they said – we want you to keep working with us, but still through your other employer. But since you can't, um, you can't go back to them for 90 days, what we want you to do is come work for us for 90 days. While you're here, we're going to give you an enormous raise. And then after 90 days, we want you to go back to the old company, still helping us, but helping them at the same time. And then they will give you an enormous raise on top of what 
you got uh, from us. So what happened was, uh, without me doing anything, without me doing anything, I went from having no job to getting two enormous raises within 90 days. And that's... It's because uh, I know that God is my source and not man. Verse 25, this is the last verse anyways. It says, but if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done. For God has no favorites. So ultimately, you reap what you sow. If you sow bad things, you will receive bad things. uh, That's something I keep telling Hedemius all the time. If you uh, sow bad seeds of smacking your brother in the forehead, he's gonna, you're going to reap the, the bad seeds of him smacking you in the back of the head with his Tonka trunk later. <laughs> but if you sow good seeds, you will receive... Well, there we go. Oh, wow. If you sow good seeds, you will receive good things. So, and this verse reminds us once again, God has no favorites. You are not the exception that you can do the opposite of all the things that we just studied tonight and expect to be blessed. So sow good seeds, reap good things, and keep living the good life. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.